The Startup Help Desk is now live. This is your source to answers to your questions about startup companies, building businesses, the meaning of life, and the pursuit of happiness. We have a panel here of experts, founders, investors, and coaches. We've all built businesses, sold businesses, and we're here to help answer your questions so you can do the same. My name is Sean Burns. I've been a repeat founder starting many companies like Flurry and Outlier.ai. I've invested in dozens of companies, dozens of venture funds, CEO coached over dozens of, of CEOs. So I've done dozens and dozens of things, which means I've made every mistake you can make in business. And I'll tell you about that to save you the trouble. I'm joined here by two illustrious founders who I'll let introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Ash Rust, and I'm a pre-seed investor based in San Francisco. I mostly invest in B2B companies based in the United States, UK, and Canada through my fund, Sterling Road. I've also worked at places like Trinity Ventures as an entrepreneur in residence and Bullpen Capital as an advisor. Before investing, I was an entrepreneur myself, most notably an early employee at the social media analysis company Clout, as well as the CEO and co-founder of Sendhub. These days, I spend most of my time coaching founders, and I've helped more than a 1,000 startups over the years. Hey, this is Nick Melionis. I am the co-founder and CEO of a startup called Rev. We build tools to help entrepreneur support organizations with milestone tracking, startup curriculum, and digital coaching. This is my second startup. My first startup was a crypto startup. We started it back in 2013, and it was acquired in 2018. Since then, I've been working hard to help founders and learn more from other great founders. Uh, with that, Sean and Ash, a big shout out to you both for always bringing the good times and the startup gems. Excellent. And Nick, if we find any good founders, we will definitely invite them on the show. But until that <laughs> happens, everyone is stuck with us, but we'll bring our best answers or at least whatever we can come up with on the spot to answer these great questions about startup companies. And by the way, all these questions were submitted by founders just like you. So if you have questions, we would love to hear from those questions so we can answer them in future episodes. But Nick, get us started. What is on the queue for the startup help desk today? Well, I'll tell you this. I've been taking your startup advice as absolute fact. So we'll, uh, we'll be a great case study to see how, uh, how much proof there is with respect to that feedback. That's for sure. All right. With that, let's jump into question one. How do you handle a co-founder who isn't scaling in the role at the company? Ooh, that's a hard one, man. That never happens. Has that ever happened before? Except for like every single time. Ash, what do you got to say, man? You've seen this more than anyone else. Yeah, it's definitely a common factor. And I'd say there are three main things you can do. First, discussion. So you've got to talk with your co-founders early and often about these issues. You owe them. You've been building this business together for years. So provide that feedback. Try to find out if there's something else going on that you're not aware of that might be influencing their performance. Now, for very motivated people, even just having these kinds of conversations, that's enough in most cases just to change their behavior. But if it doesn't work, well, then we have to move to step two, which is remediation. So you're going to offer them and perhaps insist that they take on more training. That might involve things like executive coaching or perhaps reducing their portfolio of work overall. And that might allow them to flourish. Uh, but of course, in every uh, in some cases, that doesn't work out. You're still going to have problems. And uh, if that is the case, then you're probably going to have to move to option three, which is parting ways. So if the one-on-one -on -one discussions and the additional help haven't worked, uh, as well as a change in role, then it's probably time to transition them out. Uh, and with founders, the separation can be much more complex than with employees. So it's important that you talk with a lawyer and your investors uh, before you take a big step. 
And serious question, Ash, have you ever seen a company that did not have some issue with one of the co-founders scaling at some point in the journey? I Only if it's a solo founder company. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. If you're a solo founder and you suspect that your performance is underperforming, that's a whole separate episode. We'll just do an episode just on that. But right. let's see, what can I add? Because <laughs> We can call it the picture of Dorian Gray. <laughs> there you go. Here at the start of Help Desk, we are not only great startup founders, we also are liberal arts graduates. So what can I add to Ash? That was a comprehensive answer. Well, first things first, I, I agree with Ash. I think most of the source of conflict in startups and in life comes down to expectation setting. And if you don't set expectations ahead of time, people will substitute their own expectations in. So if one of your co-founders has the expectation that they will be, say, the head of sales for the whole life of the business, that's dangerous because there may not be proof they can be this head of sales for the whole life of the business. And so you need to make sure you're setting good expectations. The best expectation you can set with everyone, including your co-founders, is that they always will be the first choice for the position that they're in, but there's no guarantee that they can have it forever. They need to work hard, show they can scale and grow, and there may be a point when somebody else has to be brought in and setting that expectation early, long before that there's issues makes your life later on much easier. The second thing I'll point out, and Ash was right about this terminating, you should talk to your lawyers, but keep in mind, there is no such thing as a peaceful parting of ways with a co-founder. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't need to be enormously acrimonious, but it never happens very peacefully because frankly, everyone is the hero of their own story. No one has such a great ego that the essentially the hit of being fired or demoted from your own company doesn't hurt. It stings. It's hard. It's difficult to take. And so you have to be prepared for the negative emotions that go along with it. It's probably the right decision. It's definitely the right decision if you if you feel like you need to make a change. But it's not going to be easy. So find not just the lawyers who help support you on the logistical front, Find your support network, your mentors, maybe your investors, people who can support you on the emotional front because you're going to go through a lot. And the person you're parting ways is going to go through a lot. It's going to be a difficult transition for all of you. And I wish upon all of you never to have to go through that because it's horrible. But let's talk about happier things here. Ash, what else is up on the startup help desk question queue of life? Great. Our second question today is, what do you do when you are overwhelmed as a founder and know you have to hire, but you don't have the time? What do you do when you are overwhelmed as a founder and know you have to hire, but you don't have the time? So what you're saying is, what do I do if I need to hire, but I don't have the time? I'm getting that impression here. It's a good question. It's a great question. I can repeat it one more time if you'd like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am pretty slow in the uptake, but but Nick and Ash keep me around just because of my my amazingly poor sense of humor that just makes them look like hilarious comedians. I thought it was because of the Steve Jobs story. Is that not the reason why we're working together? <laughs> that is that's true too. Sure, absolutely. Uh, let's see, Nick. I'll take this one first because I have I have been here a lot, and I think there is few founders that don't find themselves in this position where. The business is growing, but you're running out of time. You need to hire, but you don't have a time to hire because you're so busy, but you need to hire because you're so busy. How do you break that vicious cycle? The first thing, and and this is something I have to remind myself constantly, you have to make the time. Because if you don't make the time to hire, nothing else can scale. Nothing else works. The business can't grow. And so, yes, it means you're not going to do some things today, and the business may not grow as fast as it can, 
but it will grow faster tomorrow in the future because you made time to hire. However, I also think that as founders, we tend to avoid things we don't like doing. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a, I, I don't really enjoy fundraising. Um, I'm good at it and I do it. And it's a necessary part of building venture backed startup companies. But when there's something like that that you don't like, you can tend to avoid it or find excuses to put it off and say you'll get to it tomorrow. It's really hard, but you sometimes have to face up and say, even if you don't like hiring and even if you might not think you're great at it, you got to make it a priority. You have to make the time. And finally, even if you do make time for it, the reality is hiring these people is not just difficult because it takes time to hire them. Once you hire them, you have to train them and onboard them. And that takes time too. And it's going to be not just the two months, three months to hire someone. It's the two months to three months after that to get them up to speed. So you're looking at like six months before they really do start to help you free up your time. That's an enormous investment. That's a lot of months. So the way I think about it is, hey, the sooner you start on that, the better because the sooner you start that counter, the sooner your life starts to improve. But also, if you have to plan that far in advance, man, you want to get started on that immediately uh, because you don't want to run into a wall. What do you think, Nick? Did I hit all the good points? Yeah, this is fantastic. My, my follow-up on this would be step one, listen to Sean, because that was spot on in terms of the approach that an entrepreneur can take. Ultimately, one thing that we're all likely to agree on during the startup journey is that with your life as a founder, you're likely tackling too many roles today. And part of this comes from the fact that founders are often good at, or at least are optimistic about being good at a lot of things. And so in doing so, you end up tackling so many responsibilities, which results in slowing you down and really hurting you in the long run. And so big picture, you need to hire to grow. And so in addition to listening to Sean's advice, I like to think about it in terms of three steps to approach this problem. First is the mental side of it. You know, Number one, admit to yourself that hiring needs to be a priority. Second is know what you're looking for. Define what you need. And you can do this by identifying and creating an inventory of all of your responsibilities today, all of the hats you're wearing as a founder. Then select which of those hats you excel at. Those are the ones that are going to be core to the responsibilities you should take moving forward. And then for all of the other hats, those are the hats that are core to your startup and also something that you don't necessarily excel at you want to find someone else to tackle that piece of the puzzle. So define what you need, know what you're looking for. And then the last part of this, part three, build some small momentum. As Sean mentioned, oftentimes hiring is something that can be uncomfortable because you don't like it or you don't want to do it. And so building some daily momentum with small efforts can be huge. Step one, write the job post, send it to a friend, Get some feedback on it, start sharing it on social, and then ultimately, you've got some go-to resources to make this first step easy, posting on LinkedIn and sharing it on AngelList. And so start building some of these small habits into your routine. In doing so, you can start exercising these hiring muscles and have a transition from something that you are completely overlooking to now being part of your, uh, your daily nutrition, so to speak, as a startup founder. But Nick, let's say that there's a hat that you're not good at, but it looks really good on you when you're wearing it. What do you do then? 
you mint it into an NFT, of course, that's always going to be step one. <laughs> as long as you do that, it's going to be a good Coming app. up with the real tips here, folks. That's right. A- anytime you want to do something and you're unsure of how to do it, mint it first and then go from there. I, I have nothing to add. I think that that is a definitive, <laughs> definitive statement on the topic. Oh, okay. We have time for one more question today at the help desk. And this question is coming in hot. Uh, I actually get this one a lot. It was interesting this one was submitted. So this person has a consulting business that is cash flow positive, which by the way, thumbs up, building any business, I don't care what it is, making it cash flow positive is a big deal. This is a consulting business that's cash flow positive, but they want to pivot to a product so they can grow faster. How do I do that? That is a good question. How do I do that? Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I love this. Such a good question. And of course, props to anybody that's building a business that's got paying customers. That's a Herculean outcome. So big shout out on that one. So I like to think about this, of course, in a sequence of steps. The first step in this case has to do with your mindset. This is about changing your mindset about what success looks like and just break it down into a successful week. This is a difficult mental shift. With a consultancy, the economics are such that consulting hours and effort equals revenue, which is fantastic. When you're on day one of your startup and creating a product, the economics of this transform dramatically. Now, the economics are you're doing design thinking to validate your assumptions. And in doing so, you are de-risking your idea. So in putting forth all of this effort, you now have a better idea about what your product should be. And you still don't even know exactly. You don't have concrete proof just yet. So instead of inputting an hour and getting revenue, now you're doing a less defined process to ultimately come out with a product. So number one is you have to acknowledge that there's going to be this significant mental shift and confirm that you're ready for it. If you are indeed ready for it, the next step here is to figure out And really focus on, are you solving the same problem for the same customers? If you are still solving the same problem for the same customers with this product vision, you may be able to intentionally start building a product that starts removing some of the need for the consulting efforts. And so again, big picture, you can identify some slice of the problem that exists that you solve with your consulting efforts. And if a product could be able to automate that process, Fantastic. Now you've got a vision to start building that product and do so in a very intentional way. There's more to that, and I won't share the full details, but that is certainly a process that can happen. The other piece of this is if you are no longer solving the same problem or you now have a different type of customer that you're solving for. This is equally challenging because now you have to find a way to acquire your ultimate currency more time so you can be able to invest it into a product. This is all an exercise of delegation. You need to be able to find new leadership, find new individuals that can take tasks off of your consulting plate so you can be able to spend more time unearthing insights about this product and being able to focus on that. And that can come in a lot of forms, delegating to new leaders, um, hiring others to lead the consultancy, and a variety of other themes. Ash, what's your take? So I hear about this a lot as well, especially with really high quality founders and congrats on building a cash flow positive business. That is pretty special. I certainly don't have a 100% record on that front. 
Ultimately, though, you can't build a consultancy and a startup. So you're going to have to decide which one you want to build. And that means if you want to build the product, you're going to have to find someone else to take over your consulting business. That doesn't mean you have to give it up completely. Maybe you have some residual share of it. Maybe it pays you a stipend based on profits. But a lot of founders will struggle to focus 100% on their product if they haven't let their consultancy go and it's not under new leadership. One other factor is that oftentimes people who are running a successful consultancy want to put some of the money or the resources in that consultancy into their new product. And that's completely understandable. Obviously, that's where the pot of money is. That's what's been working. But you can't do that in a disorganized manner. You can't simply have the consultancy build V1 of the app without any kind of concrete agreements in place. So you need to decide on how much time and money is going to be invested from the consultancy in your new business, make a budget, pay the consultancy for that work so we don't muddy the waters. We need a clear separation if this new product is to be your future. And then, of course, the startup is going to have to achieve some level of goals and progress in order for you to give up the consultancy. So set those clear goals in advance. What is needed for you and other team members to leave the consulting practice and be fully focused on the product, on building a startup? Again, that would usually be around traction or some kind of progress on the tech side. It's not usually based on fundraising. You want to give investors the opposite impression that you're committed to this regardless of how much money is raised. I mean, both of you guys bring up good points. It strikes me that underlying this question is a more fundamental question that isn't just about consulting businesses, which is if you have a startup, you've struggled, you've pushed, you've gotten something that's working, how do you know when to walk away from that to go after a bigger opportunity? Like if you've worked so hard to get something that works, is there any quick rule or quick judgment or frameworks that Nick or Ash that you have to help founders know I've worked hard. I've gotten this. It's taken so much effort, but there's a bigger opportunity. So I have to be willing to let go of it. Cold sweats in the night. It is incredibly difficult to know exactly when you should give up your perfectly functional business that is doing rather well and swing for the fences. But if you cannot get it out of your head, if you're deeply passionate about this product, if you are so passionate about this product and vision that you are willing to take the irrational action of giving up, a again, a perfectly good business, that's when you should take that leap and start to try it out and potentially focus on it. And then, of course, once you've achieved some level of reasonable traction, perhaps first customers, uh, other team members signing on, then we can talk about 100% focus. But ultimately, you are taking an irrational decision here. And so you should expect it to be passion-based. Exactly. This is, oh, go for it, Sean. I was going to say yes. But if you do wake up with sweats in the night, just before anything else, make sure your air conditioning is working because it could just be climate change. It might not be a new idea. That's right. And if you're living in the Bay Area, then we all know that if it's 70 degrees or more, that uh, is already cause for perhaps uh, panic along the way. So not a high barrier or threshold for that. <laughs> yeah, I think that insight is spot on. And it's interesting because, of course, the whole startup process is a function of risk tolerance at the end of the day. Some people find it so natural where they can't do anything but swing for the fences and be willing to take on that risk. And part of that's what makes them be obsessive about an opportunity. And so it'll be unique for every person. That being said, some of the signs that can indicate that you're ready would be some level of obsession about the problem. 
if you find yourself cleaning your dishes and yet you still can't shake some thought or you're still uh, wrestling with this problem and this opportunity, then there's a good sign that this is something that's becoming core to who you are and that you're prepared to be able to really invest the time and effort that it takes. Of course, those things are so personal for each person. And so you want to make sure you understand at the same time how much risk you're willing to take. I'll tell you this, when I was starting my first company, the uh, fantastic part about it was I didn't consider any of that. I spoke with somebody and it was my mentor and who's uh, been a great friend for me throughout this journey. And I said, I want to start a company. How do I do it? And his advice was, resign from your job tomorrow and you'll be forced to figure it out. And so I listened and that process was one that was absolutely frightening. And if I had thought a lot about it, then I might not have been willing to actually make that step, but it it became an essential step on my journey. That won't be the case for everybody though. So everyone needs to think about it from a very personal perspective and figure out how you make that transition. No, I like that advice, Nick. Just don't think about decisions. Just make them first and figure it out later. There's nothing that could possibly go wrong. I, I like right. it. That's good. <laughs> it also That's does right. sound like an NFT project. That's right. exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. It's time to close down the Startup Help Desk before we start selling Web3 products. That was awesome. We've run out of time, but we covered three questions, which was great. If you didn't hear one of your questions that were things that are on your mind that you'd like us to answer, send them in. We'd love to answer them next time. The Startup Help Desk is an ongoing series of answers to your questions. So the quality of the questions is up to you and the quality of the answers is up to us. But let's be honest, it's kind of spotty, but we do our best. Nick and Ash, as always, thank you for putting up for my horrible sense of humor. You are both saints. Thank you both. Awesome time as always. Thank you for having us. And we will be back again soon with the Startup Help Desk. Again, submit your questions. We'd love to hear them. In the meantime, good luck in building your business.